Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. And welcome to Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. We are America's talk radio show about opera, period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And what's more, on our show, you get to have your say live on the air. Call us on 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Or you can leave us a message on 224 218 box Again, 224 218 Sound off on our Chalk Talk segment. Show off by taking our opera pop quiz or piss people off by handing out letter grades to review a performance you've seen in our Monday evening quarterback segment. On tonight's show, Tobias Wright is back from Florida where he's been goofing around as part of the Sarasota Opera Young Artist Program. Listen in as he tries to convince me that he's actually furthered his career by doing that program. Plus, in 10 minutes, I've got all your opera headlines. Tobias takes our opera pop quiz, and at the bottom of the hour, Oliver goes inside the huddle and interviews bass DeAndre Simmons. And later, around 9.45, Tobias and I tackle an article in the Wall Street Journal that suggests opera companies are finding smaller venues to perform in. But can that success ever transfer to the big opera houses? Visit our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com, to read up before you join the conversation. Let's do this. We're live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next. Keep it locked right here, right now, on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago, and Opera Box Score. Listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Welcome to Opera Box Score. Welcome to Monday night. And welcome Tobias Wright. George, we're back. <laughs> Dude, I cannot believe how long it's been. It has been. I skipped winter <laughs> in Chicago, which was nice. Dude. But I. I, I've missed you and it, your beautiful eyes uh, and your curly hair. It's, and it's, it's very kind of you and my lack of beard. Uh, you know, the last show we did uh, live in the studio was February 29th. It's been a minute. Hasn't it, though? Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> the show after that was a podcast. Then I was in Germany for four weeks. Oh, poor uh, guy. Three weeks? Four weeks? Three weeks? And then it was another podcast. And now here we are. It's just you and me tonight. Just us. 
Oliver is phoning it in. Uh, he's got a couple segments that he's he's sent us. And Javana, <laughs> I don't know where Javana. I don't know, is. but she keeps posting pictures on Instagram. She looks yeah. like she's having a good time wherever she okay. is. Well, slacker. Yeah, yeah, you know Javana. She's she's always game for a good time. <laughs> um, so, buddy, you have been in Sarasota, Florida. Yes. Is that the Gulf side or the Atlantic? The Gulf side, the Gulf dirty side. side. Okay. It's well, tricky. I don't know. Actually, some people think it's cleaner. I just think it smells bad and it's Florida. But, yeah, the Gulf. Okay. And you were there as part of the Young Artist Program. Mm. But you're not so young. I mean, wow, you you look young. But uh, can you just take us through, like, what a Young Artist Program is? Well, specific. okay. Well, a Young Artist Program, um, or as the singers like to call them, YAPs. Um, you know, it depends on the company and, and in Sarasota in particular, they have two levels of young artists. They have the apprentice level, which is what I was. And then just slightly above that, they have the studio level. And, uh, generally the, the studio artists are a little bit older, have more professional experience, and then they are covering, covering the principles, uh, the apprentices and, and, and below the studio artists, we're all, we make up the chorus for this house and it's a non-union house in this case. Um, so I think it, it's to the company's benefit um, to be a non-union house and then hire young emerging artists as to make up their chorus, to sing outreach, to do concert performances. Um, and also, you know, it's a great educational uh, program as well. And, I mean, the training was fun. The, the coaching was fun. And, uh, I mean, but it's a, it's a prof- professional atmosphere and you're going. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds very similar to when I did the resident artist program at Pittsburgh Opera. I, I guess these are different words for the same thing. Same thing. Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. And so you were gone for 12 weeks? 12. Okay. That, that is quite a long time. It was. It did, was. Go ahead. <laughs> well, did it, did it kind of grow boring and tiring after a while? Tiring, yes. Okay. There was never, <laughs> never a boring day at Sarasota Opera. Um, and I think that's the one thing that is the departure from like trying to establish yourself as a professional like living in chicago trying to do all these gigs it's not every single day that you're in a rehearsal for five six hours and then they're doing four shows simultaneously and you're preparing concerts and outreach you know so and how many shows did you do in your or performances did you do I, I, if my math is correct i think i did 42 performances wow yeah okay that yeah that's a lot and were you doing like bit parts or what they call compromario roles or what, um, what were you doing i was not i actually was though once we got there and started getting going i was given a cover in verdi's battaglia di Legnano, which was pretty cool um so i mean i got to perform that in a cover run of the show which was great um but i was just in the course for all of these things mostly and i was able you know i sang some solos on uh, concerts in the opera house and that was a cool experience for me to do because it's a just a gorgeous little jewel box of a theater it's like 1100 seats it's awesome oh it's like kind of like a european model Mm -hmm. like little stacked horseshoes well i wish it was like that it's it's just it is a big theater and that was you know we talked about that actually it's a big theater um without a ton of seats does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah so the space is large it's not but they're not packing them in like sardines it's a comfortable place for both the patron and the singer it's a it's a really beautiful place they put Put a lot of time and money into making that. And, you know, you wrote to me at one point that being a cover is a serious business in opera. I have to be honest, as a director, mm-hmm. I, I've never really believed that. Like, the covers kind of sit around. They're always extremely prepared because they're all itching for that moment when, mm-hmm. like, the singer who's actually cast in the part goes down with, like, a sinus infection and they step up and save the day. But it seems to be a lot of waiting around. What was your experience? 
Well, my experience, I knew I was never going on because it was a small enough role. The guy could have had the flu and been in the hospital <laughs> that day and gone on and done it. So it wasn't a big deal. However, there were studio artists there. There was one artist in particular, uh, a, a young guy, 30 years old, um, friend of mine, who went on three, well, three and a half times in six performances of a Verdi opera. And he went on as the lead. And it, I mean, it was incredible because the, the principal, um, unfortunately just couldn't, was unable to get healthy. And I mean, I mean, that's part of the business, but you know, he was able to, they, when you're a cover, yeah, there's a lot of sitting around and there's a lot of rehearsal time where you're not really rehearsing, but I mean, it, it really speaks to how much, how important it is to really prepare as a professional, as if you are the principal, when you're given a cover. And I've, I've been in situations, too, where I covered principal roles here in Chicago um, at a small theater. Um, and I got a call one morning before a Sunday matinee, and they said, hey, we, you know, you think you're going to go on today. And so I went and warmed up, and you just have to be prepared. I didn't go on, though, by the way. <laughs> Lucky you. Uh, no, he, and they announced that he was sick, and uh, he was the stinking hero that day. Oh, and he sounded man. so good. I was like... Are you sandbagging me, bro? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let me ask you about the the relationship between this young artist program and AGMA, the American Guild of Musical Artists. It's the union that all people in a chorus belong to, the directors, assistant directors, stage managers, assistant stage managers. Uh, so you were in the chorus, and were there also AGMA members in the chorus as well? There were not. Okay. So this was a non-AGMA house. Okay. And... Go ahead. But what's what's the relationship? I mean, should young artists be wary of these sort of non-union apprenticeships? What's your take? So, you know, I think there are really, really, there are two sides to that coin, obviously. There's the Opera House, who wants to do their best to, if possible, make a profit. Um, and then there's the young artist, who we're, you know, there's the starving artist mantra, like, we're just, we won't work. Um, and especially if you're going to pay us, you know, pretty much do anything to go get that work. Um, having been there, I did the fall season. I was apprentice in the fall and then I was apprentice in the winter. Um, you know, it it is hard to not be represented by a union when you're doing four shows, when you're rehearsing every single day. And those hours, those days turn into 12-hour days. And um, it can be mentally exhausting knowing that hey i we, there's no control whatever the company deems necessary to get done and accomplish that day that's what you're going to have to do um so you're kind of at the mercy of whether or not those people are going to be compassionate towards that and i would say for the most part sarasota was and they do operate their rehearsals you know when they say they're done at 10 you're done at 10 they're not going over or anything like that and i did i really really appreciated that However, if it were an AGMA contract, there, I mean, the time that I spent rehearsing probably would have been cut in half. Um, so it's, you know, there's some give and take there because I was so grateful to have a job at a wonderful company singing beautiful music. At the same time, yeah, I would have liked some more days off to go to a beach and enjoy some Mai Tais or something, you know. But unfortunately, I didn't get to do that. Well, why do I have the sense that you actually did do that? <laughs> because I gave you a pretty strong... Uh, Image right there. Ex yeah. Exactly. But so like your colleagues mm -hmm. uh, in the Young Artist Program, I mean, who are they? And at, at what point were you just so like sick and tired of, you know, constantly smelling their farts basically? <laughs> well, that happened at like week 10 when we all reached the breaking point. And we're like, holy That's cow. pretty late. I'm it impressed. Was a, it was a great group of people. Okay. I mean, seriously. And you know what was cool is when you're with a 
a group of singers for that long, yeah, I don't. I hate to say this, people get weeded out, you know. And if you're if you're crazy, you're gonna get dismissed. If you don't, you know, the one thing, if you're not, a, if you don't prepare professionally, professional singers don't like you. Hmm. And that sounds so simple, and it also sounds really like mean. But the truth is, if you're not prepared, that's the quickest way to get dismissed from a group a, a group of people who's going to be living together for 12 weeks. Yeah. But it was, I mean, you know. But you're so affable. Like, I, you know, I, I think that you would really do well in this sort of situation, actually. Because, like, yes, you're prepared and, like, you're pretty easy to get along with. Thanks, man. And, uh people like you so so how does that pay off down the line i think you know at a certain point one of the the best advice i ever ever got was from my undergraduate voice teacher who said toby at a certain point everyone's going to be singing well and what's going to separate you from the others is knowing your music always know your music and always be a good colleague and i mean like how simple is that that's a baseline thing and people are going to want to work with you you know? Yeah, dude. But if, I mean, look, it's amazing how many people do not do that. You know, know your music, or, or we could say be prepared. Basically, yes. yeah, if, yeah. if you're in my profession where you you have to know the music, but you have to know a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, be prepared, be a good colleague, and yet, <laughs> Tobias, and yet, oh, yeah. okay. So the number of people who don't do that and don't have success and then get frustrated is high. It is, and the number of people who don't do that and abuse the privilege. And go on to huge careers is also yeah. high. Yeah, I mean, and I think <laughs> that is true too. <laughs> that is so true. Um, I don't know. I I think the biggest thing, if you know, there are young singers listening or or whatever, control what you can control. And I can't control whether or not people like me, but I can control whether or not I treat them well. And I think that was so important being at Sarasota for twelve weeks and then six weeks in the fall. I mean, that's a long time. I spent half of my last year there essentially. Um, and it just if if you want to love people, they're going to love you back, and that's I believe that in life, and I believe that especially in the music business. Um, and you know when you're in situations like that, people they smell out when you're fake, they smell out when you're not genuine. They it's uh, people are smart, people are smart. But yeah, dude, so great to have you back in Chai Town. So great to have Chai you Town. back on the show. It's cold here. Uh, we get Tobias for the whole hour, and then we're going to get him uh, on our shows that are coming up. Uh, we have a podcast, of course. Next week uh, is our podcast. You can subscribe to it on iTunes. Opera Box Score is the handle. Definitely search for that. I can guarantee you nobody else has that name. Uh, right now, you're listening to us on our live radio show, WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago, streaming live, WNUR.org slash pop-up. And on Twitter, if Giovanna is doing her job, the handle at Opera Box Score. This just in, the two-minute drill. It's time for the fastest headlines and opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. 
The celebrated Arena de Verona venue has been put into administrative measures after failing to reach an agreement on cost-cutting with its staff. That's a huge venue, obviously, in Verona, which has done opera performances for, like, tens of thousands of people. In the biggest gift in Danish opera history, the A.P. Muller Foundation has pledged a, quote, three-digit million amount over the next four years to help the Royal Opera in Copenhagen recover government cuts and the high-maintenance costs of a new building. Last weekend, Opera Ithaca opened the world premiere of Billy Bly, the modern folk opera about Bill Clinton at the Kitchen Theater. It's set in Hot Springs, Arkansas, 1959, and it depicts a momentous day in the life of the former president. The chief executive of the embattled English National Opera has written an open letter to its ticket buyers saying, and this is Cressida Pollock writing, Dear opera lover, I'm pleased to invite you to, quote, Devoted and disgruntled, how can we change opera for the better? Is opera a big part of your life? Does it play any part in your life? And if not, why not? Do you love it, hate it, are you indifferent to it, or even not sure why it's relevant at all? Do you think it has a future? Is it elitist? Is it too expensive? Should you receive public subsidy? Does what is happening to it make you furious, or don't you care? If so, then perhaps... You know, I, I can't even read this letter anymore, sorry. That is the two-minute drill. Tobias, anything uh, of interest to you there in the two-minute drill? The accent that started coming out as you as you went along with the letter. I know, it's so true. I, you know, I went to boarding school in England, and I had a very strong British accent when I lived there. I really did. Uh, it only comes back For those now. of you who don't know George, just <laughs> Google him. I swear. I, I don't know how old you are. Like, 24. Thanks. But uh, <laughs> you've, you've lived an interesting life. I might write... Your Wikipedia page for you. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were going to write my biography. Well, it's a start. Okay, Wikipedia. You got to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you can't have a you can't have a biography until you have a Wikipedia page. Very true. Yeah, we'll yeah. On. That letter, I just it pisses me off so much. I mean, English National Opera is so near and dear to my heart. It mm-hmm. is in such a mess right now, and it just it infuriates me no end that somebody like Cressida Pollock, who kind of looks like a horse, by the way, <laughs> if you look at her headshot, uh, not that that has anything to do with how intelligent she is. Uh, this might. this sort of like appeal to the people and like let's have a uh, she says quote come together with a large cross-section of our operatic community i just no we don't need a discussion does it infuriate you it infuriates me we need some people making policy and hiring smart people to get that company back on the rails yeah i well i mean and i don't know the root of all the problems i'm assuming you have a better idea of what some of the fundamental issues are and everything there it's it's dude it's basically financial like there's this huge arts uh funding cut Mm-hmm. Like a third of their budget was cut by the English government. Uh, and so now they have to cut the numbers of their chorus. They have to reduce the number of shows they do, etc. Mm-hmm. And then they lost their head of music. And they lost, prior to that, their artistic director. It's just a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. And what we a- hope that they recover because what do we want? We want successful opera companies. Well, I think London, as a truly world city, needs two opera companies, right? It needs the Royal 
uh, Opera House Classic in Covent Garden. Garden. Yep. Exactly. And it needs English National Opera to produce works uh, that are sung in English. And it's a really important house for that. Uh, what else do you think is, is of interest there in the two-minute drill? Um, <laughs> the, the monumental day in Bill Clinton's life. Yeah, I, I, that is so unappealing to me. Really? I, I don't know why I would see that opera. Because you love opera. Uh, no. But other than that, that, that's much. interesting. Yeah. No, no that, make, I, that makes I wonder, no I just want to know what day it was. Were there cigars involved? I'm not uh, sure. Uh, no, 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 dude. This is 1959. So he's, this is. So a young boy in Hot Springs, like Arkansas. 30 odd years before right, right, the Monica right. Lewinsky. You know, one time, you know, did you ever read his book, The My Life? I don't read that books. That was, no. okay, cool. So. Never mind. Uh, was did it? Did no, it, nothing. You don't okay. read books. There we go. It's bigger than the Bible. <laughs> and I got halfway through and just threw it away. Did you read the Audacity of Hope? The hello, the Barack Obama <laughs> book. <laughs> you clearly don't read books either, dude. I do read books, you just don't. not about people who are still alive. Well, you know, we're talking I about this, these money problems in in Europe, and the one place that doesn't have money problems is the Danish. The Royal Danish Opera <laughs> in Copenhagen, a three-digit million gift. Yeah, so that means a minimum of a hundred million. And yeah, I, I, that's incredible. I, and I don't know. Have you ever been to Copenhagen? I haven't. You know, my sister did a, a year or a semester abroad there and Good. loved it. Yeah, it's a, an amazing city. And oh, you know, you've been? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I would love to move there. I would, you know, go sing there too. If you guys are listening, I'm unemployed currently and uh, would love to come sing for you. Um, but that's incredible. And you know what? The other thing, too, you were talking about governments um, helping with funding and, and they lost that funding, it sounded like. And how incredible to have patrons or whoever or whatever, you know, where this gift came from, step up and say, you know what? It matters to us this much that we're going to make it happen and we're going to make a gift that is not only going to – uh, correct the current situation, but be a sustainable gift for generations. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay, so a hundred million kroner, I think it is. They're not part of a eurozone, so it wouldn't be euro. I mean, that is a phenomenal amount of money. I, I, I mean, what are they going to spend it on? Uh, yeah. Actually, what do you spend they... money on in Copenhagen? Well, I don't know. I remember getting a latte. And it was something like twelve dollars, twelve euro. And at the time, <laughs> at the time, I don't know how old I was, twenty two yeah, or twenty three. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know. That was inc- that the euro was like a dollar seventy. So it was like mm-hmm. twenty bucks that I spent on that latte. Yeah, yeah. and it was like tast- fine, right? Tastiest, tastiest latte I've ever it, had. But it wasn't really. No, it wasn't. No, it was no, garbage. It was sort of. It was sort of <laughs> average. <laughs> Uh, we're going to step aside here on Opera Box Score. Uh, you're listening on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago. We're also on the web, wnur.org slash pop-up. And the number here in the studio, 847-866-WNUR or 847-866-9687. You can also leave us a voicemail if you're the shy type, 224-2189-BOX. It's 224-218-9269. Hit us up on Twitter, at Opera Box Score. We'll be right back. You're listening to Opera Box Score.
come to America for a better life. I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to see opportunities available. We help them get involved with their kids' schools and network within the community. My name is Meera Batra. I help families see opportunity and succeed. I don't just wear this shirt. I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Find a relaxed position to let go of the time you left your daughter's blouse in the dryer too long and it shrunk four sizes, or when you donated her private diary to the public library. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Take a deep breath in and let go of the time you and your son played basketball and you attempted to slam dunk. Or when you hit that piñata into your neighbor's yard. Let it go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The result, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George, Oliver, and Giovanna. Pop quiz. Oh, boy. Welcome back to Opera wait, Box Score. Wait, I wasn't on that introduction. It's true. You weren't. I, I didn't get to it today. Uh, I, I got you on the I'm opening hurt. one. I'll, I'll, we'll play that okay. opening. Actually, yeah, the opening one was nice. I was like, is it going to say my name? And it did. That's all I'm here for. <laughs> I just wanted to hear my name said on the radio. <laughs> Go home happy. Thanks, master's degree. It's time for pop quiz. It's our opera pop quiz. And actually, uh, Oliver Macho Camacho has curated this yes. one. So big shout out to him. Miss you, Oliver. Here's the setup. Uh, Tobias Right, our... I was going to call you a guest. You're a co-host. Hello. (laughs) He has just finished the Young Artist Program at Sarasota Opera. And Sarasota Opera has just completed their 27-year Verdi cycle. Yes. What do we need to know about that, Toby? Well, what you need to know is that it's a Sarasota Opera is, by most accounts, a bee house. They've got a large budget. But this wasn't always the case. 28 years ago, uh, Artistic Director Victor Dorenzi... Uh, started with Rigoletto, I believe, was the first show and um, Ver- uh, by Verdi's that he did. And he realized once he, he did uh, one obscure Verdi piece, and oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I don't remember which one it was, but the, he said the audience roared and that they loved it. And he thought, well, if they loved that, you know, there's 36, 37 more operas that Verdi wrote. And um, he just started it. And it, it was a slow process. But by the end, what we finished just a few weeks ago, and it was incredible. Verdi's great-grandchildren were there. Like, Verdi's families. Wow. Like, his That's heirs crazy. were there. And it was – they loved it. They were crying. It was beautiful. Um, the Verdi 27, or the, this group of Verdi scholars from all over the – from Italy, they were all there. There was a Verdi conference. It was 
pretty awesome to be a part of. Anyway, yeah, so they did all the operas, every vocal work, every note that is available that Verdi wrote, Victor Dorenzi has conducted Crazy. at Sarasota Opera. Pretty cool. That's 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 pretty cool. Well, an ambitious thing to do. It is, and to honor that, uh, Oliver has put together this pop quiz, which is: Can our main man Toby identify some of Verdi's most iconic operas so, based on their instrumental music? Oh God! <laughs> so yeah. let's be really clear here. I was a part of the cycle, but I had nothing to do with the scholarly <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> Thanks, Oliver. Uh, uh, okay, so there's five clips here that Oliver has prepared. They're about 30 sec- sec- uh, seconds each. And make sure you let them play all mm-hmm. the way out. Um, You're going to give me hints, right? Uh, if you need them, you'll, you'll get some hints. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, I'm going to set the bar high here. I'm expecting you to get four out of five on this. Uh, I'm hoping for one out of five. Okay, well, here we go. Here's the first one. Take a listen. And you guys should be playing along at home as well. dude over to you give me a hint um this is one of the three famous middle period operas of verdi okay okay Uh, and this is the easiest of the five clips it is traviata (laughs) yeah yeah what were you hoping to hear Uh, well you know actually it's really interesting what was i hoping to hear and it it went (laughs) as soon as it started i wanted it to be act three of aida Okay. And it totally wasn't, <laughs> right. which is dumb that for some reason right. I wanted right. that. But yeah, right. so, you know, that was Traviata. And they, oh. It's, yeah, it's, it's act two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's after Violetta decides to abandon Alfredo in order to protect his sister from the disgrace that she's going to bring on the, on the family. All right, so you got it. Way to go. One out of five. Here we go for the next clip. I did. Act one, scene two, Aida. Yeah, you got it, right. And it's during a ballet. It is during a ballet. Yeah, how did you know? I was in it. Oh, okay. we just did it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, good. That was... That, uh, that's how you know. Yeah, that's... Okay. So that one was... Whew, I'm two out of five. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has that beautiful sort of... The, that modal scale that the flutes are playing. Mm-hmm. And it does sound very sort of exotic. And yes. And it's uh, just a, the, a beautiful scene. And when the ballet's done... I mean, if you can imagine what an audience is going through with the scene when you're dark, you're in the priest's chamber and you're watching these dancers and like, oh, just awesome, awesome. Aida, if you've never seen an opera, 
and you can get a chance to go see or go to your library and pick up a, a copy of Aida. You have to. It's worth every second. I've done the show, too, as an assistant, and, it, yeah, it's really fantastic music. Yeah. All right, man, two for two so far. Let's get that third clip going and see what you think of this. Oh, that was a short one. That was a short one. Uh, I don't know. You need a little hint. Yeah. If you got one. Uh, okay. Um, it's hard to do. It's hard to do this just by the instrumental music. No, I, I know. I kind of yeah. like it. I like yeah. it. Uh, okay. So this is an obscure hint. May the 4th is coming up soon. Yes. Uh, That's your hint? You might have to use the force to get this in. Forza! La Forza del Destino. Okay. The Force of Destiny. See, yes. I, I don't know that one. It's um, Pace, Pace, Mio Dio. It's the Leonora's aria from Act 4. All right. Uh, but hey, we got two more clips here. I, I, yeah, I don't think I got that one right. <laughs> no, you didn't get that one right. <laughs> I've so, never so, heard Forza, though. But I mean... Yeah. Have you? Have I heard the show? Yeah. Oh, I have. I really? have. They did it at the Opera House in Darmstadt in Germany when I worked there. Humble brag. Yeah. 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 It, it, they did it in German. Really? Der Macht des Schicksals. <laughs> Say that like, ten times fast. I think Der I Macht des Schicksals. Breakfast, right? All right, yeah. here we go. Number four. See what you think of this Okay. One. It's not too hard. I okay. just told you I'm not a Verity scholar. Yeah, yeah. Where's my hint? What's my hint? Uh, your hint is that um, there were children. There were children, children in this. Yes, uh, it's based on a Shakespeare play, Falstaff. It is Falstaff. All right. Yeah, way to go. I'm going to give you half a point for that. Okay. Uh, because I think I think you deserve it. Because yes. I, I knew Falstaff was based on a Shakespeare well, you said, play. You said children. It's the fairy music from Act Three of Falstaff. So okay. I, yeah, I think. I think I think we're going to give that one to you. Cool. All right, man. Last one. Oliver says this is the hardest of the oh, five. I was really so hoping he would just give me like let you off easy. Va pensiero. <laughs> you clearly don't know Oliver. <laughs> I hope he's listening, grimacing at how dumb I am. Let's see. Uh, let's see what you make of this one. This is tough, dude. This is tough. There's two. Well, there, it's such a huge uh, 
catalog to go yeah. from. I'm just gonna yeah. guess and say Don Carlos. Yeah, it's a it's a good guess. <laughs> it's not. It's it's the other Shakespeare adaptation that Verdi did. Which you've already said Falstaff, but he did another uh, Shakespeare opera, and they they did this at um, Lyric Opera of Chicago within the last couple years. Huh. You got me. It's the sleepwalking music for Lady Macbeth. It is Macbeth. From Macbeth. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. No, that's a hard quiz. Exactly. I just want to be really clear. That was a hard quiz. For it's any of you listeners who think I'm dumb, that was hard. And I am dumb. So you're right. If you think you're better than Tobias, give us a shout. 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. I did enjoy that. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Here we go. And back on Opera Box Score. This week in the huddle, Oliver talks with the bass DeAndre Simmons, and their conversation touches on racial politics in opera the technical prowess of the great singers of past generations and singing so good that it hurts your eyes. I just love that idea. (laughs) Uh, Sit back, relax, and enjoy, and we will see you on the other side. As George mentioned, this week our guest is the very handsome and young bass DeAndre Simmons, uh, a singer who already has an established career in concert and recitals. I first learned about DeAndre when he was singing at Lauren Mazel's Castleton Festival. DeAndre is an alumnus of Curtis Institute of Music and a three-time fellow of Music Academy of the West. And it is at Music Academy of the West where I finally met him because Opera Now recorded a live show in 2014, and you should go find it. Here is DeAndre Simmons. In an audition. Well, you're making me think a little bit of something that we have in common. We both love like the classic singers like from you know the golden age of recording Mm. and obviously the singers from when i was growing up in the 80s and the 90s i think about their careers all the time and then you know you start listening to those singers and it's not a stretch to begin to listen to singers from like the 60s and the Mm -hmm. 50s and you see some of these great performances you know like I don't know, Lane Teen Price singing the Verdi requiem and she's giving so much you know Mm -hmm. but she's not like waving her arms or right, like, right, you know? right. So because I know that you're that type of listener, do you feel like knowing about those legendary singers informs the way you perform? Absolutely. It, it, it makes me think more consciously, firstly of the singing. I don't need all of the extraneous you know, histrionics mm-hmm. that come along, I, as I call it, jazz hand singing. Mm-hmm. You know, look at my hands, don't listen to my voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if it's if there's if the singing isn't good, mm-hmm. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, I always try to make sure technically, vocally, technically, I'm doing everything as well as possible uh, without overthinking it, so to speak. Uh, and then all of the other things come out of first of all what the composer wrote. And you had these incredible singers, Tabaldi, Leontine, uh, you know, uh, Cornell McNeil, uh, Cesare Sieppi, um, 
on and on mm-hmm. that could stand there and deliver the music as the composer intended it. And you had the drama, you had mm-hmm. the, the text, you had a, the, every bit of expression that you could possibly need without the waving of hands and yeah. batting of eyes and all those kind of things, which aren't necessary, not to say that also incorporating some acting right. is not uh, is not good of course it was this is one of the things that maria maria callas started to show us mm-hmm. and subsequently we had people like uh, shirley barrett yeah. you know who definitely took it even one step further than just stand and sing mm-hmm. but for me it is the missing of this first step which is being able to mm-hmm. just stand and sing and then getting to the other part. Right. So I, I well, I know about you know opera companies where you know the in the audition they're asked to like do something ridiculous, like you know, okay, sing these right. but you know, pretend like you're murdering Pamina. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe you're because you care so much about the singing that might put you at a disadvantage in this era that we're in right now. I, you know? I would agree with that very much. Uh, you know, everyone. Not everyone, but directors and conductors are so, are often, mm-hmm. not all of them, often lacking in knowledge about the opera, mm-hmm. about the composer, no, like about me. actual singing, yeah. uh, and subsequently are mostly trying to build their name in this profession. And so they're constantly coming up with these odd ways of, uh, of, of creating a show. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's nothing wrong with a, a Tito Capobianco or um, or any other one of those great stage directors that said, hey, wait a minute, let's read the score. Mm-hmm. And since I already speak the language, this is what is being said. Let's follow that first. And then we can go. I mean, a- after that, what what more do you need? I agree with you. I've, I've been accused of being the problem in opera and that I'm very conservative <laughs> about, you know, my taste and just wanting the product to be at a high level mm-hmm. with, you know, traditional ideas about mm-hmm. staging. I feel like there are certain works that just work if you right. just do them well. Right. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, let's maybe talk about uh, – you don't have to name any opera companies or uh, <laughs> any uh, agents or anything like that, but have you ever felt that – you know, maybe your race has played a factor uh, in casting decisions. And you're going to get the answer to DeAndre's question right after we take a short break here on the show. We'll be right back. You're listening to Opera Box Score. giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? First, I had to decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more, so I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore, and frustration a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy, and giving up impossible. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Today might be the day I drop out of school, but you might be able to stop me. With United Way, you could tutor me, be my mentor, or volunteer to just read with me. 
There are tons of ways people like you can help kids like me stay in school. Make me a success, not a statistic. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. You're struggling with your mortgage. You think about it all the time. What are we going to do if we lose the house? It's time to stop thinking and start dialing. Call 1-888-995-HOPE for a free government program that offers expert one-on-one advice about your mortgage options. We've helped over a million homeowners, and we want to help you. Call 1-888-995-HOPE or visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. And we are back on Upper Box Score. Going to wrap up this interview with Oliver Macho Camacho and DeAndre Simmons. It, I always think it would be wrong of me to, as some of my colleagues do, mm-hmm. uh, say immediately, well, I didn't get that because I'm black. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a certain a certain aesthetic that seems to be off-tired these days, which in which I do not fit. But I cannot say, oh, they didn't like me because they're black, as some of my colleagues do. You, my mind first goes to, well, maybe I didn't sing so well that day. Or, you know, maybe I just didn't, uh, I wasn't fit for the part in any other way. First, or you know, maybe that singer is the uh, the artistic director's son mm-hmm. or nephew, whatever. Yeah. And you know, very it, it's almost never happens that color becomes my my uh, go to. Mm-hmm. But I certainly understand singers of the past. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there are singers of today that have actually had the experience. Of course, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but it's far fewer than the ones that are constantly saying. Oh, I didn't get it because I'm black. Yet, no, it is not a utopia. No, it is not. You know, everyone is is equal in this situation. I'm not ignorant enough to think that. But I can't say that I have had any real hardship uh, in that regard myself. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I have noticed, you know, certain companies really making an effort to be inclusive, and yes. you know, Lyric Opera is one of the most conservative companies. But this year. They did this opera Bel Canto, and if you heard about it, yes. yeah. and it had Daniel Denise in it and Janae Bridges, and it had two, maybe I think maybe three a- Asian singers mm-hmm. in principal roles, and a countertenor, which to me is diversity as yes. well. So, uh, and then their their Ryan Center um, this year, the the Young Artist Program, uh, also shows a lot of diversity. So that stuff, you know, gives me a little bit of hope. You know? Yes, you know it. it as with Broadway, mm-hmm. uh, there was a show two seasons ago now where there was not one person of color in the entire show. And this also happens in opera houses. And I say, excuse me, there are any number of persons of color, not just black, you know, whatever, uh, that could also fill this role. And I think for sure it is beyond the time, well beyond the time, that there easily... Should you know, just like the seventies, seventies and you know, or eighties when you had Martina Arroyo, you had Shirley Barrett singing Desdemona, mm-hmm. you had Martina singing uh, Butterfly, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. You had uh, uh, Leontine singing Tosca and Pamina, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there's no reason 
and and George Shirley singing any number of, of yeah, roles. Romeo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that there shouldn't always every single cast be an interracial cast. There, there's no reason for that, that in 2016. Yeah. I mean, opera is a little bit behind. Uh, well, if you look, <laughs> if you look at the ballet world, you know they've been integrated forever. Sure. You know, um, musical theater not so much. I mean, you would think that they're going to be a little bit ahead. I mean, this whole scandal with yeah. um, was it Hamilton, right? And, and they have their casting call out, and there's not any casting call right. for my people, which is awesome. The, <laughs> it, it's extreme <laughs> in the sense that you know no one makes that uproar mm-hmm. when. There is a cast of South Pacific mm-hmm. that doesn't even have a single Asian person. In a it single it Asian person. In it. People, in you know, you say, "Wait a minute, something's wrong yeah. here." You know, or uh, a cast of anything really. Yeah. Uh, that there, it, that's that's the point of it. It's mm-hmm. theater. There's yeah. no reason why one shouldn't be able to turn off that thing. Yeah. That that social construct of yeah. color and race, yeah. and say absolutely, I believe that that person, that that white man playing uh, Martin Luther King is Martin Luther King, and that black man playing George Washington is George yeah. Washington. I, I that's, Did you that's see what theaters the before from the fall at the Met with Alexander Osterenko, whatever his name. Uh, no, you know, did I see it? No, I did not. The okay. last Otello I saw was, of course, with Renee Fleming, okay. uh, of which I saw almost every performance because it's was Renee it, Fleming. Was it Domingo or who was the? the I don't remember. The, I just know it was Renee. <laughs> 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 so um, let's get off this topic, okay. and you know, in the last few minutes we have here, maybe talk about what's missing in opera right now. Like, what do you feel? Uh, I mean, because I know what I want to hear and what mm-hmm. I want to see, and I suspect that we have the same taste in these things. But you know, you go to a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you feel is the thing that grabbed you when you were younger that is maybe not working now, or maybe is not being offered right now? Because I know how I got into this, you know, falling in love with this art, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like there's a lot of you know people out there that are just they're just trying so many different things and seeing what sticks Mm -hmm. and they're right about a lot of things i do think that we need to continue to you know develop young composers and Mm -hmm. tell new stories uh but what is that quote about like being conservative it's like i'm i'm not preserving the ashes i'm trying to you know preserve the fire or something Mm -hmm. like that i forget who said (laughs) it but you know i feel like i'm one of those people that wants to to see opera and i want to hear great singers and i want to see you know, productions that don't conflict with what the librettist had in mind, you know. That's my thing. Um, but I, like I said, I'm killing opera singing mm-hmm. single-handedly. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. Uh, just before we, before I answer that question, going back to the other topic, uh, I was just thinking of a quote by Leontine Price, which I'm sure is on my Facebook quotes yeah. uh, part, that said, where she says herself, uh, you know, success has no color. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to her about race in the profession i mean certainly she was just after right well basically right after marion anderson who was the one that really broke the doors down uh, along with robert mcferrin we mm-hmm. must not forget uh, that he was scheduled to make his debut before miss anderson um, but in any event it that's that's the biggest thing it's not a you can't think about color all the time you have to do the best you can constantly and make sure that it happens. Okay, now, now this question. Okay. Um, 
what do I think is missing? You know, I, for, I also I think good scandal is missing. Like you know, back in the day when people knew about singers and we could talk about like whatever rivalries between between Collis and Tabaldi yes. or between Barrett and well, Humber or something like that. I, I miss that stuff. I think that because it's theater, yeah, that. You know, there's already a base level of everyone thinking, oh, that is already the case. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone is is homosexual in theater. Mm -hmm. Everyone, you know, is sleeping with everyone. They're not. (laughs) You know, uh, everyone, uh, you know, is is using drugs or alcoholic or overeating, particularly in opera, uh, etc., Yes, there are they. Yeah, but that's not the common thing. So I think, given the time we are in, mm-hmm. uh, compared to the fifty, forties, fifties, sixties, where you know you didn't talk about those things. So mm-hmm. when it did come up, it was a scandal. Mm-hmm. It's harder for things to be a scandal now. You right. know, especially when we are inundated with the moment something is a scandal. Yeah. there's a uh, reality television show yeah. about it. So it's it's harder for that to be the case. Uh, for me, I think. The the biggest thing stems from excitement. Mm-hmm. And I think you can only get that excitement when the technique, vocal technique, is as high as possible. Of course, not every singer that was great, uh, uh, that we remember as great, had a flawless technique. No one's ever going to have a flawless mm-hmm. technique. But it was a technique that allowed for the kind of singing that made something exciting. Uh, I think I told you this story before, is that in 2005, the Met did a 40th uh, anniversary gala for Morella Franey. Mm-hmm. And the energy in that theater was so tremendous. And you know it was just for her. There were other wonderful artists and, and artists who at that time had their own large name, but it was Morella Franey and others. And every time she even took this, just walked on stage to sing, it was tangible, the kind of excitement. Uh, and you, you, as we both do, listen to recordings of, you know, Belcanto uh, concert of Joan Sutherland and, and Luciano Pavarotti and Marilyn Horn, where those audiences went wild yeah. because of their ability to send it out. And I think that's missing because... The, the the vocal has, aesthetic has become about quote-unquote musicality mm-hmm. and not technical prowess. You know, listening to Joan Sutherland and uh, a, an enormous cabaletta is, is you, you almost don't get any more exciting than yeah. that. Uh, or listening to uh, Luciano or Corelli or something like that, you know, seeing that alarmi, mm-hmm. it you, you yeah. Instead, we get a lot of singers that are content with this kind of muscly, throaty. Who the hell am I to talk about this, right? <laughs> but it, for my ear, this kind of throaty singing that doesn't allow for this real cutting, mm-hmm. clarion sound that I think is, I mean, that's the the point of vocal technique, right? That is what Bel Canto was created out of was being able to sing in a fashion that sent the voice out. 
And uh, yeah, people being in the theater and getting that sound right in their ears. Exactly. And I mean, as much as I love recordings and love YouTube and all those things that are available to everybody, get in the theater. E- and that's like, it. Yeah. You know, I was I'm very fortunate that I grew up in San Diego where great artists came every single season to do either operas or recitals or concerts. Luciano was there almost every year for a number of years uh, doing uh, recitals and con- major concerts in the sports arena, of course. Uh, I saw Joan Sutherland in her last years singing uh, in in Los Angeles. Now, that's, that's the thing to talk about. So many singers, young singers, younger singers, think that because of the recordings that Joan Sutherland had, you know, a... a a small, uh, you know, coloratura voice. The one, one of my biggest memories of great singing is sit, sitting in the basically very last row of the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles, which holds, I think, something like 7,500 seats. And she came on and sang Obopei, which I'm sure was a good third down. Yeah. But when she hit the last, I mean, first of all, her entire singing was so much so that it's, it, sounded and felt like she was sitting directly next to me mm-hmm. and singing into my ear. It was such an enveloping yeah. sound. So where huge. Where your eyes hurt. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. And then when she sang what, you know, probably was a B flat yeah. at the end, it just, obli- I mean, you could barely hear the orchestra. Mm-hmm. It obliterated it so much. Yeah. And I think that kind of uh, technical prowess slash excitement is waning in this business you know and and any number of shows that i have seen at certain opera companies Mm -hmm. uh especially when they do bel canto operas they're not exciting and that's what i think is well i mean i'll say just because it came to my head angela mead at the richard tucker awards i think it was last year she sang this aria and cabaletta from the Louis foscari which i'd never heard of that yes and it was so good and she like wiped the floor with listen i adore angela much and i'm very happy to be able to say that she and her husband are good friends of mine she gets it yeah well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been um, my pleasure. Yeah, and um, folks, DeAndre Simmons is going to be singing uh, Winterreise in San... In San Francisco, okay. in Los Olivos, uh, and Westbury. Okay, and we'll get those dates on the website as soon as we know them. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist. Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Giovanna Jacques. Welcome back, Opera Box Score. Thank you to Oliver Camacho and thank you to DeAndre Simmons for that interview. What a guy. He's really articulate. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. You know, one thing really quick, and we don't have a ton of time left on the show, but uh, one thing I enjoyed about that conversation was the the issue of race in opera. Mm -hmm. Um, And they seem to both really agree on it. And he said, you know, he wants to believe if it's Thomas Jefferson and it's a black man, he wants to believe, or George Washington, or no, it's Andrew Hampton. I don't know, whatever. He wanted to believe that that's who it was. Or if it was Martin Luther King being played by a white man, that he could believe that that's who it was. Because that's what theater is. It's a suspension of a belief. And that's why we go... um, but man, that could be a, a whole segment in and of itself about how opera still is somehow antiquated and not being racially, um, you know, desegregated. I guess if you will, which is well, anyway, yeah, it's a great segment, and he he makes a really good point Absolutely, about it. Yeah, uh, 
as Tobias says, we don't have a ton of time, but I do just want to mention this article, which is on our website, mm-hmm. operaboxscore.squarespace.com. It's this article from the April 4th edition of the Wall Street Journal talking about micro-opera companies in America and how they are able to be so successful. You know, these are companies that have 100 people in the audience, that they do three or four performances, and that these things are all sold out. If you take a look at the article, it references places like the uh, National Sawdust, which is a, quote, hip new performance space in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. It talks uh, in contrast to a place like the Met, which has 3,800 seats and is under capacity. It mm-hmm. talks about New York City Opera, which is under capacity as well. And this article makes the point of like, is there ever going to be any crossover between these micro opera companies and the big houses? You know, it'd be interesting to see if that happens. And there's a couple different points that the article made that are are eye-opening. Um, I'm just going to read a small part. Uh, the hot sellout, uh, where am I at here? The hot sellout show that gets people in the opera business excited is, for the most part, only possible, and this is a huge part, only possible due to small theaters and or very limited runs, um, and has yet to prove its relevance for the traditional legacy institutions. And I think that's where... Um, that's where... I don't know that they'll ever replace the legacy institutions. The Lyric Opera Chicago, God willing, the Met, God willing, La Scala, those places are never going to shut down. Um, And that's because they are historically relevant. However, for the future of opera, it is awesome to know that you can't get a ticket to that performance in Brooklyn because they went like that. They're quick and people are excited to go. I think that's, it's important to these micro, what do do we call them? Micro opera companies. Yeah. And you know, it happens in our own city. It happens in Chicago. There's six, seven opera companies off the top of my head and they're, they do these alternate venues, fantastic shows. They have great artistic vision and they're hard to get tickets to. Yeah. Um, Are they going to replace the, you know, the, the big ones? Probably not. But let, let us know what you think. Drop us a line. Operaboxscore at gmail.com. Good to be back, George. Good to have you here, my man. Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score. All right, time to wrap this show up. Good call, bad call. We get to pick something great or something lousy from the week. Uh, Oliver says this. It's a good call. Opera Underground's Beer and Baritones is a fun and irreverent event for fans and neophytes of opera. It's going on this Wednesday in two days' time, uh, featuring Ryan Center alum David Govertson. Good old Dave. And for more info, go to vocalartschicago.com. Tobias, what do you got? Um, I am going to go on a personal level here and it's a good call and the good call is that it's great to be back in the studio with you it's great to be back in chicago and i uh, look forward to uh, opera box score and what we have uh, in store for our future that's it for tonight's show our announcer is norm waddell visit norm on the web at voxershorts.com that's v-o-x-e-r-s-h-o-r-t-s.com for wnur our programming director is bill Sholney and the general manager is maddie higgins our theme song is vodka inferno written and performed by the diablo swing orchestra you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. Be sure to like our Facebook page. And if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts. On our website, operaboxscore.squarespace.com, you can stream archived episodes and learn more about our team. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And hey, don't just listen to the podcast. Be a grown-up and leave a comment or a review. 
Our next episode will be yours for the taking on Monday, April 18, when we go inside the huddle with British composer Ian Bell. It's an interview that I did with him in person in London. Do not miss it. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as regularly as April showers bring May flowers. Street Beat is up next. You're listening to WNUR FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment. Tobias Wright, what is in the opera crystal ball this week? Um, opera crystal ball this week. I don't know, George. Help me out here. What do you got? <laughs> What's going to happen in the world of opera? Apparently that's... nothing in your nothing. crystal ball. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm... My soul is dead, and I have no future with the business either. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>